by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, tonight's message is called the prune... I knew I'd have a problem saying this. The prunable few. The prunable few. Mm-hmm. Prunable. I made that word up. <laughs> I don't know if it's in the dictionary. Prunable. You know in the parable of the sower where it says, Matthew 13, it says, you know, it talks about the seed being the word of God and how they spread it on different soils and everything. And then at the very end of it, in verse 8, it says, still other seed fell on fertile soil. And I believe that's what we have in the room tonight, fertile soil. They're waiting for the seed to fall so that they can produce something. We've got some fruit producers in the house. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. And in prayer Tuesday night, Brother Tom mentioned that. He was praying something out and saying that we would produce fruit 30, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And then he said this, which is what spurred tonight's message. He said, as they're willing to be pruned. And I said, hey, that feels like good to me and the Holy Ghost to talk about that because we've been talking about how to get bigger on the inside, how to do more for God, how, how to have a bigger capacity for the Holy Ghost. No longer I that liveth with Christ that liveth in me. How to have more Jesus. That's how you get bigger on the inside. We've talked about all kinds of things. Tonight we're going to talk about some things you just got to cut away, you know. You got to prune. And so tonight's message, the prunable few. I don't know why I called it that. It just seemed good. The definition to prune is defined as to cut off the excess or dead parts and to cut away the unwanted parts. That's what you do when you prune. Turn to John 15. This will be our launching scripture. John chapter 15. Starting in the first verse. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit. So who does the pruning? The father, not even Jesus. Jesus is uh, the, the grapevine, but the Father does the pruning. So he decides what needs to be cut off in our lives. Because, you know, if he left it to some of us, we'd be saying, well, you know, my time, is, I, I'm running out of time each week, and so I'm, not, I'm not going to make it to church. We'd be cutting off the good things, you know. <laughs> Sometimes we don't know what's best for us. So that's why we don't just say, well, we're not just going to leave here tonight and say, I'm going to prune all these things out of my life that I think are good. My suggestion would be, God, what are some things that you see in my life that need to be pruned? Because we might prune off the wrong thing. In verse 3 it says, You have already been pruned and purified by the message I gave you. What's he mean there? Well, when you heard that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and you gave your heart to him, you know, he cut off that old man and uh, pruned off the, the part of you that was no good and gave you a new spirit. 
Verse 4 says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So, you know, we got to stay hooked up with Jesus. You know, he's not going anywhere, but you can't go anywhere either. Many of you have heard uh, that I used to write newspaper articles. And maybe you, some of you used to get to South Haven Press or something. My articles used to be in there. I, in fact, at one time I was writing them and I was sending them to like over 1,200 different newspapers around the country. Now, not, that, not very many of them ran them, but some of them did. And I actually was, got it to where I was getting paid from some of them. You believe that? Newspaper companies? They're all about to go out of business now, though. But for a, a period of time, I thought that was my calling because I'd always wanted to be a writer. So I was writing. Y'all know my goofy stories. I tell half of them in here. So I'll tell a goofy story, and then I'll say how dumb I was and how, what a mistake I made and how, and how why are you pastor, you know. And then we get to the very bottom, and then I'll, I'll, God will show me what I learned from it. How many know you can learn from your bad mistakes and stuff? <laughs> if you're willing to go back and revisit your life and be honest with yourself. And so that's what the Lord had me to do. And I was writing stories one a week, you know, and I, and I was on its deadline, and I thought this is what God has called me to do. And I even got so excited at one point, I said, you know, I, I do have a studio recording gear that Soul Food uses and stuff, and, and I like to do things out of the box. I said, what if I made an audio copy of like 10 of the stories, and I narrate it and put it on a CD? I said, I've got, you know, probably two or 300 people on my email list that I've been sending them stories for free week after week, you know, and all I have to do is advertise there. I know... Just about all of them should be willing to buy one, you know. And uh, all these newspapers is driving traffic to my website, and I could sell them on the website. I got friends. I got family. I've got uh, all my coworkers when I was working at Power & Tail, you know. They were all good friends of mine, probably 50 people there. I was thinking, man, I, I could probably sell a lot of CDs. I might could make a little extra pocket change or something, you know, to fund the ministry. And so I, I, I did it. I recorded 10 of them. It took me a long time. I did it just right, did my best, took a picture of my family, and I printed up a whole couple boxes of these right here, CDs that say, But Anyway, with Guy Sheffield, you ain't learnt it till you lived it, volume one, because I was expecting to do several more volumes after that, after this was a big hit. Does anybody want to guess out of all my friends and family and loved ones and all these people I've been sending free stories to for years, can anybody guess how many I sold? If you can guess the exact amount, I will give you whatever's in that treasure box. Okay, you only get one guess, and I haven't heard it yet, so. But I'll tell you in a little while. We've got to get to our message. Are you prunable? You know, Jesus, he asked blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Are you kidding, Jesus? That's a silly question. The guy's blind. You're the healer. What do you think you can do for him? Why did he ask that question? Because some of us, it's no telling what goes through our minds. Something's good for us, but, you know, I kind of like being blind. I'm making a lot of money, you know, an alms or something. Jesus had to ask the question, do you want to get better? 
That was basically what he was saying. Ecclesiastes 3.1 tells us, for everything, everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Do you know you go through seasons in life? Have you noticed that? You know, some of you are wearing, you know, the latest styles in here and so forth, the stuff you didn't wear 20 years ago, but, but they were in your closet from the 70s and now they're back in style. So you're wearing them again. <laughs> but some of us buy new clothes regularly and try to keep up with styles because there's seasons. And you go through seasons in your life. And anybody that's lived a couple of generations or, or decades like me, you know, I'm not the same as I was back in my 20s. Thank goodness, or I wouldn't be here. Isaiah 43, God's talking to Isaiah in verse 18. And he just got through telling God, or God just got through telling Isaiah about how he parted the Red Sea and talking about the things he did in the past. And then he said, but forget all that. God said, forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. That sounds like our God talking right there. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I am about to do something new. Say something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? Aren't you glad that our God is not old and crusty and stuck in his ways? But he is a God of new. He's a God of different He's a God exciting all the time. When you walk with God, you never know what you're going to get. It's like a box of chocolates. Our God is a God of the living, and he's doing a new thing all the time. He's, he likes fresh bread in the house. You know, that's, I believe a lot of churches, they hang, on to, they hang on to traditions of the past, and what happens? They lose the fresh bread. They're not staying up with what God's doing today. God reaches this new generation in a new way. Now, there are certain things that will never change about God. I'm God, and I change not. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change because you can't improve on perfection. Huh? The Word of God is perfection. It's true. It'll never change. But we change. Hey, how y'all doing? But to embrace the new, often you have to let go of the old. Does that make sense? If you hold on to the old, you, <laughs> your hands are already busy and you can't grab the new. You've heard the story I know, I've told it at least six times, so you'll, this illustration, but it just bears repeating, of a trapeze artist. You know, the guy that swings on the thing and he starts getting his momentum going. And he finally swings the pedalum all the way to its apex, and then the other the rope comes up there, and he's got a decision to make. Is he going to let go of this one? And there's that split second where he ain't holding on to anything, and he grabs that other one and comes on down. But you've got to let go of the one. What if you get there, and you, you kind of, I don't know about this, and you grab it with one hand and hold on with the other? Can you imagine? Have you ever seen that? I'd like to see that when you... That would be awesome. Whoa. But you've got to let go of the old if you're going to grab the new. Do you know there was, I had a girlfriend before I met my wife, Angie. I had a girlfriend. I dated her for a good long while. And, and I probably loved her. Yeah, 
But somewhere along in the relationship, I begin to understand this is not the one for me. And so I had a choice. Am I just going to continue to stay with the one that's not for me? Or am I going to let go and take a chance that God has got something better for me? Nothing wrong with the one I had. Nice girl, but something told me, you got to let go if you're going to get what I want to get to you. Does that make sense? There's always a new season on the horizon. When you get home at night and before you go to bed, most of you, I would imagine, take your clothes off that you wore that day. And when you get up the next day, you probably put on new clothes. Some of you may not. And that might explain the smell I've been... No. (laughs) But why do you do that? You take off the old to put on the new to stay fresh. You don't just wear them to bed, wake up the next day, and put on another layer on top of them. After a week or two, you'd be, I'm on the way to church. Y'all hold up, wait on me. You know? You can't run your race like that. What What are... Runners wear just as skimpy as outfit. They want to stay free. And see, we're running a race for Jesus. We got to stay free of the things that's going to hold us back. Anything bringing wind resistance against the plan of God, we got to let it go. That's good preaching, if I say so myself. It's like computers. Yeah, I'll say that phrase. Y'all get the same experience. You. You try to open up too many programs or you got programs on there that you should have deleted a long time ago and over time that computer just gets to running slow, gets what bogged down. And that's the way our life gets when we don't delete anything. There's no pruning going on. It's just piling in. And some of you got that 1987 Atari computer that you just need to let go of. <laughs> you know, computer technology changes like every two years. You need to keep up if and, and Brother Tom, that flip phone, it's got to go. <laughs> I've been on him about that flip phone. But really, communi- you know, for communication's sake, <laughs> you know, he's, he's the only one in my top leadership, you know, I have to send smoke signals. Tom, come into the church. We need a, we're having a meeting, you know. <laughs> oh, this is pick on Tom, not. And we must allow God to cut off everything that's not of him. And that's what's called sanctification. When you gave your heart to Jesus, you didn't just give your heart to Jesus, you gave the heart of who you are. You gave everything to Jesus. You were bought with a price. You know, and so you're supposed to be his. And if you've got control issues and pride and you feel all self-important, you've got to let all that down and, and give way to the Lord to use his pruning shears in your life so he can develop you and mold you into something that can be used. God has a plan for you, every one of you. And so we say, we have to open up and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with this. Oh, that hurts, God. Well, it may hurt a little bit. 
But it worked for you a far greater way to glory in the life to come if you'll just let him have his way. Because you know you can trust dad, right? What are you holding on to? Some of us like them monkeys that, that they, they over in the jungle, they'll put a banana in a little cage, and the monkey will have to slide his hand through, and he'll grab that, that banana, and when he try to pull it back, his fist won't fit through the cage. And you'd think the monkey would see the human coming with the baseball bat and say, oh, I'm out of here. But no, he holds on, just holding on until that dude comes up there and gives him a big knock in the head. And that's like some people, it's like, just let it go. Come on now. Just let it go. Let God. Some of us are holding on to the past. Whether it's good or bad. You know, some of us are holding on to the glory days. Oh, I remember back in the day, you know. That's why I'm, you know, still wearing these horn rim glasses. Or that's why, I, you know, I've still got a Chad haircut or something, you know. <laughs> I'm the only... Hey, y'all was heckling the, uh, heckling the dude that did the announcements while ago, so I heckle back. But some of us got bad past, you know, things that you remember and you think, God can't use me, or we get down on ourselves about things. Some of us are holding on to, I need to stop saying that word, traditions. I'm really making up some words tonight. We got hurts. Some of you have been hurt, and that's real. You know, and, and because you've been hurt, you're, you're kind of walled off. You're holding people back, and God's trying to get people in your life to love you, but you're not letting them in. And, and no, I'm not trying that again because I got hurt over there, and all these hurts are walling us off. And really the whole time, God is, the thing he's wanting to cut off is the pain. He's wanting to cut off, he's wanting to take your hurts. He wants you to cast those cares on him. He wants you to trust in him so that he can heal those scars. Sometimes his pruning will help you to live again. I know it will. Everything he does brings life, right? Some of you are caught in your own imaginary limitations for your life. You think, this is as far as I'll ever go and I've already overachieved, you know, and this is, this is good enough for me. You've got to take limitations off of your life. Let God cut away your limitations, and let's see what God can do through you, you know. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that liveth in me. There's no limitations. Take the limitations off, and the fears, you're scared. Failure, you're scared get hurt again. There's so many things that, that God just wants to take away. He wants to take those things away. But we have to get, stay on the potter's wheel so that he can get his hand in our life and mold us into what we were created to be. You know he, he knit you together in your mother's womb and he, he looked at you and he said, it is good. I have a purpose for you and a destiny for you and a plan for your life. And I know people have hurt you and I know you've, people have lied to you and got you off track and, and I know you've done some things, but I'm a great big God and I can forgive, I can forget, and I can, I can use you. The calls and the gifts that I've given you, 
They're irrevocable. Nobody's going to change my mind about you. And I can't stand, like I said, Sunday, he can't bear to think of heaven without you in it. And he can't bear to see you down here suffering. He suffered for you, that he can know what you're going through, so that he can help you in your suffering. He can help you with your issues. And then, of course, there's sin. You know, we got to cut that off. Why? See, this big religious guy, is he the one with the bat that wants to hit me in the head? No, he knows sin hurts you. The wages of sin is death. And when you touch a hot stove, you're going to burn yourself. And he's saying, don't touch a hot stove. Here's a better idea. Use the mitt or something. I don't know. But he doesn't want you to sin because the wages of sin is death. Whatsoever man soweth, that will he also, whatsoever man soweth, that will he also reap. It's going to come back to you. So don't sin. And sanctification process, the, the cutting away, the first thing we've got to begin to do is cut away the sin. Matthew 5.30 says, And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. What? Is that in the Bible? It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. Is sin that much fun that you can't give it up to give your life to Jesus? Really, I mean, that sounds extreme, and I would not advise anybody to go cut your hand off when you leave here, no matter what you've been doing with it. I don't know. Okay, but you don't have to, you see. You can make a decision to stop doing what you're doing and let God cut that out of your life. And, and if, it were, if you were given this choice, okay, jump over there into the fires of hell or cut your hand off, you'd say, cut my hand off. And that's what he's saying. If the choice was hell or cutting your hand off, you'd cut your hand off. But the choice goes on right here. Who are you going to receive? You want to play for the devil's team or you want to live for your creator who loves you and died on the cross for you? That's, that's an easy decision for me. And sometimes we have a branch or two that may rub other people wrong in our lives. We have a branch or two in our lives that, you know, if, if we're looking at being pruned, that may rub God wrong. He's like, I, I want that out of there. You know, it's causing you friction or with, with your wife or it's causing you friction with your children or something, your personality traits or something. You know, some of us get stuck with our personality traits. We say, well, I'm shy and I'll never be able to do anything like that. Well, who told you that? Sound like the devil told you that. God didn't call you shy. He didn't give you the spirit of timidity, but a power, love, and a sound mind. You know, where are we getting our information about who we think we are? Okay, so there are legitimate personality traits. Some of you mentioned that, man, he gets behind the pulpit and he goes crazy, but, you know, you talk to him in real life, he's kind of like quiet and, uh, how would you say, socially backwards, <laughs> I'm not a good conversationalist. Okay, so, but does that mean I stop talking to people? No, I have to talk to people. I'm the pastor. I w I'm winging this thing. You know, I'm, I'm, God, I'm allowing God to get his hands in my life and try to change me. So, there's, you know, if, if there's something that you're doing and you feel like, well, I was born this way and it'll always be that way, stop saying that. There's no telling what God could do if you'll just turn it over to him. Hebrews 12, 5 says, 
Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't take light the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. You know, he's doing it because he loves you. Even if he has to discipline you. You know, that's what, and, and parents, you know, the easy thing is just to say, oh, don't, don't worry about it. Just don't do it no more. It's the hard thing to get the belt out and give them a few licks and have to watch them cry and beg and all that stuff. But you do that because you love them. And you don't want them to do that again. You don't want them to learn the lesson with the police instead of you or somebody that has a gun instead of you. You're teaching them lessons on the front end. It, it's hard to discipline, but you do it because you love them. And sometimes God just has to cut the dead stuff out of our lives so that we have more room for the sun to get in. The sun to get in. You know, the dead stuff has got to go. Have you ever pruned a bush or something? It's really amazing. You see these apple trees, you know, like a wild apple tree, you know, out in the forest or something. They may have two or three little scraggly-looking apples on it, and all the, the branches are over, weighed down, and they're real thick and stuff. And then you look on TV and, and one of these orchards or something, and you see this beautiful tree, perfectly round, and it's got, you know, a thousand apples on it, and all of them big and healthy or something. Why is that? Because the people that work the orchards have learned how to prune the trees. Because when you prune back all the dead weight and the sin and everything, then you begin to produce fruit. And that's what God is after, fruit in our lives. You, you remember, nobody's in here that old. Except me, I know. No, nobody in here is as old as me. The six million dollar man. We can make him better, <laughs> faster, stronger. Now, you young kids over here, you know, you've never heard of the $6 million man. But he was an astronaut, and, uh, and upon reentry, he came in too hard, and he crashed, and then just an awful crash. It was a, it was a show. And uh, lost both legs and an arm and his eyes or something, and, and he should have died, and he's barely alive. But the government had this technology, and they put him new bionic legs and a new bionic arm and new bionic eyes and stuff, and we can make him better, faster, stronger. And that was the premise behind the old movie. And that's what God is doing. He's not giving us, you know, bionic body parts, but he's giving us supernatural strength in the spirit. When we cut off things, he replaces what we give him. He, put, he puts his super on our natural. Does that make sense? And we become the $6 million Church, no, just kidding. What are the examples and benefits of, in the Bible? I wrote down a few. The flood. Noah's Ark, you remember that? That's an extreme example of pruning right there. That right there. That right there is extreme. Killed every human being on the face of the earth except for eight righteous souls. And you say, well, why would a loving God do that? Those people had got to the point where they were so vile, there was no hope for them. They would not listen to reason. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. That was before the law. And everybody was so wicked that God repented that he even made man. He said, man, I shouldn't have even done this. That breaks my heart to hear how we have done God when he's been so good to us. But he saved just Noah, righteous Noah and his Seven family members, eight people. Have you ever 
like run over a piece of monkey grass with the lawnmower by accident. It's like, oh no, that thing's gone. But you come back a little while later, and there it is again. And that's what happened. God took eight little twigs that, that remained, and he repopulated the whole earth. And then he, then he had Moses come by and, and give the Ten Commandments and say, guys, let's at least try to go by these, okay? Don't just do what you think's right, because what man thinks right can get awful wacky. Then he told Abram to leave his home and his family and go to a place I will show you. You remember that story? Abram, who would later become Abraham, a man God could cut covenant with. But see, he had to leave his house and his family, and some of us are not willing to do that. Some of us are not willing to go from the place that we know and, and trust God and take the steps that God says. Moses, he left the comfort of Pharaoh's home. You remember Moses was a little baby in the river and Pharaoh's daughter found him, took him into the, the royal palace of Egypt. And he grew up in extreme comfort. And it says in Hebrews eleven twenty four that it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why? I mean, he had everything you, you could possibly want, your royalty, but he refused it. He saw the way that they were treating his people the Hebrew slaves, and he couldn't take it. And it goes on to say he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Somewhere along the line, Moses looked up and said, it's just sinful for me just to sit here rich, not helping anybody, oppressing other people, and all this comfort, but what is it getting me? He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. You know, I saw something in there that I never saw before. This is way before Jesus came on the scene. And it says he was willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. He was suffering for Jesus before Jesus was even born. Isn't that awesome? Then we have some of the disciples. Uh, take Peter and James and John. They left their boats and their nets and their father's business and their own business, and they just went and followed Jesus. And, and Matthew, he left his career at the IRS, you know, got up on the tax collector's table and, and went and followed Jesus. And we wouldn't even know their names today if they hadn't have done it. They wouldn't even be a, a footnote in the history books. But you know who exactly who I'm talking about. And then the guy named Saul, the Pharisee. Religious leader, respected, Ph.D., got all the accolades and the praise and wore the long flowing gowns and, and was well-respected man. Thought he was doing God a favor by killing the Christians. But then God knocked him off his high horse and gave him a new direction. And he answered the call. And in Philippians 3, 7, he talks about, all the things that he once had. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yep, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting in it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. He got to a place where he gave up everything in his past and he gave up everything in his future. He said, I am yours. Do with me what you would. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was left for dead. He was beaten with rods and left in the deep for a day and a half and so forth, two days. That he went through, I mean, he was let down in a basket. He was persecuted. He said, man, I counted all but garbage for the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus that I may know him, the fellowship of his sufferings, that I may know him. Jesus meant everything to him. The one that he once persecuted. When he, and maybe you have once persecuted Jesus. Maybe you have thought evil of God. Maybe dark thoughts have invaded your life and made you think that God is just made up and, and uh, that name just really irked you. That's because that name causes you to come to a place of decision. Because there's no other name by which a man can be saved and and the devil don't want you to know that name. But when you come to Jesus and you see him high and lifted up on that cross, paying the penalty for your sins and loving you with that love that passes anything that we can even imagine, makes you like Paul, that I may gain Christ and become one with him. And then all the things of this world, all the the things that we thought were so good and all the things that we hated so much, doesn't, they don't matter. They just don't matter anymore. I wake up that I may know him and follow him, and I don't have to carry the weight of the world. I don't have to, to live up to somebody else's expectations or my expectations on, ability, on my own ability and merits. I can do nothing. Remember, I can do nothing apart from him. He's the vine, and I'm just a branch hooked into there. And that's all I need to do is stay hooked into there and keep a bunch of little useless branches off of me so that I can be free to, to run with him and produce fruit for him. Then find my joy in him. And then God himself does away with stuff. He did away with the old covenant. Wow. He gave us something far better. In Hebrews 8, verse 6, it says, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. He's our new priest. He's our high priest now. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. And it was nice that God looked down and, and gave us Ten Commandments and tried to help us you know, understand how to be good and cared enough. But none of us could be good. We, we saw the law and we wanted to try to do it and realized that we couldn't because it was our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. And so in the fullness of time, God sent his son Jesus to be born as a man, to die on the, de the death on the cross for us, to give us a new covenant, cut in the, the blood of his own son. So that we could live. So that we could live in the grace that we now stand. Oh, this is beautiful where we're at. Sins forgiven. Iniquities remembered no more. We've been set free from the curse of the law. 
Jesus Christ being made a curse for us. For his written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He hung on a tree for us. He was made a curse so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He gave his life for us, his righteousness for our unrighteousness. It's good news, people. And now we've been given a space of time to live out our faith. This space that we live in, this little 60, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever we may live here on the earth, is so short of a space of time compared to all eternity. But he's given us this and says, here, let's work together. You and me, I'll, I'll be with you. I'll be in you. We'll live this life together and we'll do great and amazing exploits. And I'll let you be part of what I'm doing in the redemptive process in this whole giant earth. And we can see great things accomplished. We can see, I'll let you be a fruit producer. I'll let you be a fisher of men. And we get to play in God's sandbox called earth. And the whole time knowing that one day he's coming back for us. And he'll hold us in his hand throughout all eternity. Oh, yeah, it's a better covenant based on better promises. Amen. None of us was going anywhere but hell if we were going to try to have to obey the law. Because none of us could do it. Thank goodness Jesus did it. He's the way. He's the truth. And the life. Jesus, he went from a throne to a manger for us. Yeah, he cut back some things. Cut back on everything. He was in heaven. He had, he had everything he could possibly desire. A throne in heaven. And he left it for a manger in Bethlehem. And to put on this big heavy skin and this, these bones that we wear to become one of us. He was cut off from the land of the living for us. But it was not without a purpose. And he wants you to understand this pruning process is not without a purpose for your life. If you'll just let him get his hands in there and you'll stick it out and you'll, you'll toughen up a little bit, he's going to take something broken and he's going to make it beautiful. I don't know. I don't know what, what your, your pruning is going to look like. I can't tell you because I'm not the pruner. God will have to answer that for you. Maybe it's your attitude needs to be pruned back or your habits. You know, we're creatures of habits. Maybe we've got bad habits that we do. There's so many things that God could prune, and I'm running out of time. Hobbies, jobs. Maybe there's a relationship that needs to go in your life that's just toxic for you, brings you down. It's not helping them either if you was to think about it. I know for, for me and Angie, we did one simple thing, and I'm not saying you should do this, but we both took Facebook off our phones. It's practical wisdom because we began to realize, well, I began to realize every time I'd look at my phone, I'd see the Facebook app, and I'd see this little circle with a number in it. So, oh, i got to check that. And so I'd press on it to see who's saying what. And then an hour and a half later, I'd look up and say, what have I been doing? And then I began to realize that almost every other thing on there is somebody arguing and fighting and politics and all this stuff and it's just creating division in my heart. I'm thinking, what am I putting in my eyes? 
Now, I, your friends might be better than mine, so don't, I'm not putting this on anybody. But, but I took it off my phone, and, and I'm spending about one-tenth the amount of time on Facebook now because I only use it to do advertisements and stuff for the church now, and I'll check it every now and then just to see what crazy thing y'all are doing next. But it's made a big difference. But see, God, that's what God's dealing with us about, me and Angie. He's dealt with us about it. But I'm not saying, I'm not putting that on you. I'm saying, but there, God has something for you that you might cut off something simple in your life might make a big difference. And, you know, if I was doing a pastor's challenge, I'd say, why don't you pray about that this week? And say, God, what would you have me do? You see, God's the potter and we're just the clay and our job is to stay on the wheel. God is the gardener. We're just the branches. We're supposed to say, lop where you will. I trust you. Do surgery on me. Have your way. David Jeremiah said, the vine dresser is never nearer the branches than when he is pruning them. You want to walk closer to God? Let him prune you. We'll close with Matthew 13. Man, the shorter I write a sermon, the longer I go. I don't know what's wrong with me. If I leave myself space to just wing it, I'll do more preaching than I did if I wrote a long, long sermon out. Huh? Thank you. God loves y'all so much. We ain't got to that part yet. We're five pages from that. I mean, I was just kidding about closing. <laughs> Matthew 13, 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. He didn't want to steal it from somebody else's property. So, but it was so valuable, this treasure that he found, he sold everything that he owned and put all the money in just to buy that field for that one treasure. And it goes on to say, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. He's looking for this special pearl. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. It was worth so much to him that nothing that he had could compare. And he was willing to give everything he had. And then there was this rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus knew where he was at in his heart. And eventually he got around to saying, sell everything you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And he walked away sad. He couldn't do it. He had great possessions. He didn't know that stood before him was a great treasure. Standing before him was the pearl of a great price. Man, if he would have been willing, Jesus might have said, no, don't, you know, don't sell everything you have. But man, he was testing his heart. Are you willing to give everything? Is everything you have God's? And does he have a right to everything that you have? Can you trust him with everything you have? When you find the pearl of a great price, you won't walk away sad. You'll walk away glad. I sold two CDs. Both to my mama. <laughs> my brother. 
who is in about six of the ten stories, did not buy a CD from me. None of my friends at work, none of my other family, my wife didn't buy a CD from me. Those hundreds of people that got my stories for free that I advertised on the email saying, this low, low price, I mean, I wasn't selling for 50 bucks. It was like 10 bucks or 5 bucks. I can't remember. No sales. No sales. Nobody from the newspapers. No. My mama bought two. And, I, and you know what I think? I believe with all my heart, God put the kibosh on it. I mean, you just can't fail that bad on your own. There's no possible way you could fail that bad on your own. Because it was a good product, I thought. And I thought it would have went over well. Even if I didn't do good, I expected to sell, you know, one box or so. And now my closet's filled. And I've got plenty of them. And then just shortly after that, I was still writing the stories. I knew, I knew this was supernatural. You can't fail that bad on your own. And I said, okay, God, I don't understand why, but... Let's keep moving. So I was getting ready to write my next story. And the Lord, and you know, and I was thinking this was my gift and this was my ministry. And the Lord said to me, that's it. Don't write any more stories. Get behind me, Satan. Is that you, Lord? That's what he said. I didn't write another one. I ain't wrote a story since like 2006 or 7 now. Just cut it off. I didn't know why at the time, but you know what? I, was, I knew enough to be obedient to the voice of God. If he wanted to prune it out of my life, I let it go. Because you know what? If he could do that to my CD, excursion, he could do that to the stories too, right? You need to learn who you're dealing with. He's a God of all flesh. He does what he wants to do. You, we really need to get with the program. Because if you find yourself holding on to things that God wants to cut off, you're fighting against God. And that's a battle you can't win. So we might as well go on. To, and you know what? I, for one, am glad that Jesus is not primarily known as a carpenter from Nazareth. You know what I mean? I'm glad he's known as the savior of the world. I'm glad he put down carpeting. <laughs> Is that a word? I'm glad he put all that down to move into something better that had more purpose. Now, that was for a season. In his life, he was a carpenter. What if Jesus would have told God, no, this is what I do, God, and I'm not, you know, I'm holding on to that. But he let it go. And in his obedience... He saved the whole world. Praise God. So how much do you want in your life? 30, 60, or 100 fold? Well, it's up to you. To the degree that you will give God control. I believe that's what Brother Tom was praying out Tuesday night. And it sounds reasonable to me. You make up your own mind. But I believe to the degree that you give God control is to the degree that you will find success in this world and in the life to come, eternal life.
How much are you willing to let go of? Would you bow your head one moment, close your eyes? Did I mention how much? Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.